0: God, like Peter, being called out of the boat to walk on water to you, many times we are called beyond what is even imaginable in our own minds. And like Peter, we very often fail and falter. We look at the things around us and rather than trusting in you, we look to our own strength and our own abilities and we realize that we're just not there. What we need is the same thing that Peter needs. We need you to reach out and to rescue us. We pray that you would do that. God, as we open your word together, I pray that you would bring us the words of life. Help us to find life anew in your son, Jesus. Help us to find uh, guidance by your spirit to know what we are called to in this life. We pray this in the name of Jesus, asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I came across an article uh, this week that proclaimed 2016 to be the worst year yet. And maybe uh, for a variety of reasons you might agree with that, maybe you would disagree with that, but uh, what the article was specifically talking about was the persecution of Christians uh, globally. An organization called Open Doors has been tracking Uh, restrictions on religious freedom and also aggression against Christians around the world for uh, the past 25 years. And and this is what they've reported at the end of 2016. Persecution rose globally again for the third year in a row, indicating how volatile the situation has become. Countries in South and Southeast Asia rapidly rose to unprecedented levels and now rank among such violent areas as the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa. They report that Islamic extremism is continuing to be the dominant driver of persecuting Christians, particularly organizations like ISIS. But quickly rising is a much less publicized trend, which is ethnic nationalism and and how this has weighed into that as well. So in in Western countries, this has tended to come out more as anti-establishment politics, but in places like Asia, it has uh, led to the oppression of Christians. Here's what they say, it's common and easy for tottering governments to gain quick support by scapegoating Christians. In other words, if things are not going well, you need to find someone to blame, and some of these governments are blaming Christians, and then people are turning on them and kind of an effort toward ethnic uh, kind of superiority, and their Christians are uh, uh, being oppressed as a result of that. So Open Doors, because of all this, estimates that 215 million Christians are undergoing what they would categorize as high very high or extreme persecution. So we're not talking about things like kind of mild social discomfort that you and I might feel occasionally. We're talking about state-sponsored oppression. We're talking about imprisonment. We're talking about killing of Christians. this is a very serious thing. I mean, think about this. Three years in a row, persecution against Christians is increasing year after year after year. 2016 being the worst year yet. So what do we do with this? And more specifically, think about what it would be like to be in in that kind of a situation. You can imagine that under that kind of intense pressure, it might be tempting to simply lose hope. You don't have a lot to hang on to anymore. It might be tempting to give in to the pressure and end up abandoning your faith altogether, or at least to minimize it and to make it a thing that's kind of privatized, that you don't really talk about or don't really think about much. But really, this is nothing new. As we read the Bible and, and get a picture of what the early church looked like, from the very beginning, Christians have faced opposition. And so we need to turn to the Bible to get encouragement for what it means to live as followers of Jesus in any kind of situation in life. Today we're in the second week of our series in Second Timothy, Gospel Priorities. We're starting off this new year by focusing our attention on setting priorities in a way that aligns with God's heart that's revealed in the Bible. So we turn to the second chapter of 2 Timothy today, and we learn what it means to live as a follower of Jesus, the lifestyle that we are called to, even if we suffer persecution as a result, even if it is a difficult situation to be in. So go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll look at verses 1 through 13 uh, of that chapter. Uh, you go ahead and grab a pew Bible if you haven't already done that. Um, it's found on page 1178 of the pew Bible. So 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at this text in two parts. First, the the lifestyle that we are being called to, and then the reason that we keep pursuing that lifestyle. So let's look at the first part here. We are called to a lifestyle that's dedicated to passing on the gospel to others. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember that this portion of the Bible is a letter. It's a letter that's written from an older church leader named Paul, who's right now in prison, to a younger church leader named Timothy, who's facing some difficult times. Here's how this uh, section of text begins. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So right off the bat in this section, we've got three different commands. It's to be strong in the grace of Christ. It's to entrust this message to others. And it's to join in suffering. And these commands are tied together. After all, if you're going to tell someone to join in suffering, you need to tell them, how they're able to actually withstand that. So they need to be strong in the grace of Christ. But this middle command about passing on the message and trusting this message to others might seem a little bit out of place. We're going to come to that in a minute. It's actually central to this whole passage. But to explain what he means by these three commands, Paul uses three vivid illustrations to explain what he's talking about. To look at verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So Paul is pointing to three different vocations that would have been common during this time period as a parallel to the kind of lifestyle that he is commanding Timothy to live. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And each one of these adds something to the picture. So the soldier, a soldier is supposed to be single-minded in who he is trying to please. So rather than doing the normal things that normal people do, buying and selling groceries, all this stuff, raising a family, building a house, advancing a career, rather than doing all these kind of civilian affairs kind of things, instead they are looking only to their commanding officer. That's the one they're trying to please. That's the one that they're taking orders from. And so too, Christians have a commanding officer. It's Jesus. Jesus. And we are to live to please him only, to to look to his commands and his direction for our lives, not to get caught up in civilian affairs, but instead to be looking to be part of the kingdom work that Jesus is doing. And then there's the athlete. The athlete in Paul's writings is usually a picture of discipline and self control, but, but here it's actually a bit different. Here it's about following the rules. And so then as now, there were strict rules about how you should train as an athlete if you're going to compete in the games. We put restrictions on things like steroids and doping because we don't want people to gain an unfair advantage. And and a similar thing was happening at this time period. And then when the day of competition comes, you can't be running around the racetrack and then take a shortcut, cutting off a corner, making it shorter, and then expect to be proclaimed victor or the one who wins the race. Likewise, Christians are called to live by the commands of Jesus, not to make up our own way of life and not to kind of follow our own rules. And there's the farmer. The farmer is to be hard working, but with that hard work is an expectation that they get to receive part of the crop that comes when, when harvest time comes. Their hard work should pay off. They should get to enjoy the fruit of all that hard work. And so, too, Christians work hard in service of Jesus, and then we get the joy of participating in the rewards of that work. So three different vocations common in this day to to push forward the point that he's making. And the point is that we dedicate our lives to obeying Jesus' call on us, not getting distracted by other things, not following our own way, and intent on the reward that's been set before us. Well, let's get back to verse 2 because this is really key in understanding the lifestyle that Paul is commanding to Timothy. This is what he says. The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. But Paul's talking here about how the gospel advances beyond him. And, and there's really four generations of, of faith here being presented. It's, it's Paul passing this message on to Timothy, so what you have heard me say. And then it's Timothy passing it on to a third generation, entrust this to reliable people. And then it's that third generation passing on to a fourth generation who will be qualified to teach others. So four generations of passing on the gospel of Jesus. So what Paul has in mind here is an endless succession of passing on the gospel to more and more people. I picture it like like a relay race, and Paul is running the first leg of that race, and he's reaching the baton forward. He's going to hand that baton off to Timothy, and as he's handing it off, he's shouting out encouragement, he's shouting out instructions, this is how you are to do this. And then Timothy is going to take that baton and he's going to run with it. But his goal isn't to keep running all the way to the end of the race by himself. His goal is to pass that baton on to other people who are then going to be able to pass that baton on to others. It's not a perfect analogy, of course, because Timothy isn't going to hand it off to one person, but he is to uh, keep passing it off to others and continuing to run. So it's not a perfect analogy, but, but you get what he's saying. It's about an endless succession of the gospel advancing all the way around the world. And see, this is an important consideration for Paul because he realizes that he is nearing the end of his life and he wants the church to continue to grow until Jesus returns. He knows that he soon will be killed. His days of ministry are quickly coming to the end. He has always been kind of on the, the forefront of ministry on the frontier, bringing the gospel where it has never gone before. But he's not going to be able to be the one who's on the forefront anymore, the front lines of this. And so he's charging Timothy to do this work, to continue this work in a way that is going to keep it going for the rest of history. But what happens if one of those generations is past the baton and they take it and they just stop running? What happens if they take that baton and they keep running, but they never pass it on to someone else? Well, That means it ends right there, right? Imagine a relay race where, where the guy in the next leg is sitting there and he's waiting, he's ready, he's reaching back and, and the baton just never comes. It's been said that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. And this is the sense in which it's true. See, the church is called to pass on the gospel. Each generation of Christians is called by God and commissioned by Jesus and given power by God's Spirit to tell others the great news of God's salvation. We are active participants in this. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus today, it means that somewhere, someone along the line has been running and passed that baton on to you. And the question for each of us is, are we going to keep running with that baton? Are we going to find others to pass that baton onto? When we talk about one mission, this is what it's all about. See, for me, I need this not to be an abstract thing of, yes, we're going to to bring the gospel into our community. I, I need to know that this is there's a face on this. I need to know this is a manageable kind of thing. So even in our small community here, I think of 8,000 people in Luddington, or 28,000 people in, in Mason County. I, I don't know how to bring the gospel to 8,000 people, let alone 28,000 people. I don't know how to do that. But then I, I realized that, well, God has put this one person in my life. And I know he has called me to reach that one person. That's something that I can do. He has a face. He has a name. He has a story. And God has put him in my life. And now I get to be part of bringing the message of Jesus to that one person. I'm going to do everything I can to pass the baton onto that that one, my one. See, our focus on our ones is to remind us that we are not the last leg in the relay race. We have been given this amazing salvation in Jesus, and now we get to tell others about it, right? That's the mission that we have been given, to make more and stronger disciples. Disciple-making is the very heart of what the church's mission is all about. We live a lifestyle that's dedicated to passing on the good news of Jesus, and this leads us to the great reason that we are called to live this life. Paul lays it out for us here. All of this so that more people would find life in Jesus. But of course, if we're going to live this kind of lifestyle, we have to keep the gospel centered. So he goes there first. Verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. See, we have to remember that this is all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This book, 2 Timothy, is a book that's shaped by the gospel. It's everywhere in this book. And here it's given in very brief form, two little clauses, raised from the dead and descended from David. And and packed into these two little phrases is a ton of meaning and a ton of background. So raised from the dead. Resurrection of Jesus reminds us that success in this mission is guaranteed, See, Jesus died on a cross for our sins, which means that when we trust him, we are forgiven for everything wrong we've ever done in the past. And we are forgiven for everything wrong we will ever do in the future. He died in our place, the death that we deserved. And the result is that we are now reconciled to God. We become his sons, his daughters. And then after Jesus' death, he was raised to life again, showing that he has power over death, vindicating him as the true king. Death no longer has power over God's people. It's been fundamentally defeated. So yes, we will die at the end of this life. But just like Jesus was raised from death to life, so too we who belong to him will be raised from death to life when he returns. This is about life forever. And then descended from David. This is a reminder that God is always faithful. See, the promises that God made in the Old Testament to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses, to David, all of those promises find their fulfillment ultimately in Jesus. All of that history is pointing forward to him, and all the history since then is finding its meaning back in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. This whole thing is rooted in the gospel. So Paul is once again, in brief little form here, reminding Timothy that it's all about the gospel. But of course, this great news of Jesus is not a guarantee that things are going to be easy for us and they weren't easy for Paul. Look at verse 9. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. So Paul himself is in jail. He's chained up like a criminal and he's chained up specifically for proclaiming this message. But what he realizes is that no matter how things look for God's people, even if 215 million followers of Jesus are being intensely oppressed and persecuted today, even if 2017 becomes the fourth year in a row of increasing oppression of God's people, even then, God's word is not chained. It continues to go forth effectively. And so we come to the reason that Paul and Timothy and every Christian since is called to live a lifestyle passing on the gospel. It's right here in verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything, that therefore, in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that God's word is not changed, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Himself. This is the reason that we continue this lifestyle. It's enduring everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Christ with eternal glory. This is what it is all about for us. We dedicate our lives to passing on the gospel, no matter what the personal cost to us, all to see more people find life in Jesus. See, we do what we do because this is all about eternity. It's much bigger than my own personal comfort. It's much bigger than than my career or anything else. It's much bigger than anything else that might become the driving force of our lives. We live a lifestyle dedicated to passing on the gospel, all to see more people find life in Jesus. See, Jesus has commissioned us for this work. The end of the book of Matthew, he, he sends out his followers. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He commissions us to go and to make disciples. This is the priority of the mission of the church. Disciple-making is at the heart of our mission. And yet, it's easy for us as a church to get tired the, the more we talk about going and reaching out, it's easy for us to get weary. Think, man, we've been, we've been working on this for so long. We've been, we've been trying so hard. And it's easy for us as followers of Jesus to get discouraged. Maybe you've been praying for your one for years and years. Maybe it's been decades that you've been praying for your one. Maybe you've been looking at your life. You've been rearranging your schedule. You've been doing everything you can to find ways of serving your one. And it's taking its toll. You're getting tired. You wonder, is it really worth it? Is it really going to make a difference? At our home right now, we're in the process process of potty training one of our kids. Uh, We have managed to successfully potty train two children, and we have two to go. And this round has been uh, a bit challenging. Uh, We've been talking about this and planning for it and making little efforts here and there for almost a year now, and it seems like there just isn't a lot of progress. Unfortunately, uh, that child is not here to be embarrassed in front of all of us, but we've reread the potty training books, and we've tried to gauge readiness, whatever that means. Uh, we bought fancy underpants to try to uh, build excitement, and, and to be honest, we've talked uh, way too much about going to the bathroom uh, for my personal comfort. <laughs> and all of this for months and months and months, and you're just seeing no progress and, and no hope. And finally, over the last couple of weeks, there's been some real breakthroughs. A day without accidents, that's fantastic. But that day without accidents involved hours of sitting in the bathroom with this small child. Uh, Do you have any idea how boring it is to sit in the bathroom for 30 minutes at a time? (laughs) And then, of course, a day without accidents means one day without accidents. It doesn't mean multiple days. And that means that there are accidents other days. And do you know how gross it is to continue to clean this stuff up? I make my wife do it. because (laughs) I. Why do we do this? Why do we put in so much effort day after day, putting up with the grossness of it, putting up with the inconvenience? Why do we keep doing this? Well, it's because the hope that someday we will never have to do this again. <laughs> it's the hope that, that someday we will buy our final pack of diapers and never have to purchase another pack of them. It's the hope that someday we will never have to change another diaper well, this is what we do as parents, and those of you who have kids who are older, I really hope you're beyond this stage, and, but you're continuing to pour into your kids, to put deposits into their lives for the hope that in the future, all oh, that's going to pay off. See, we keep pouring in, and we pour in, and we pour in because we hope that there is something on the other side of that that is good. It's the same with making disciples. This is what continues to to give us the energy and continues to give us the perseverance to push hard after this. Because we know that on the other side of it is this hope for eternal life for that one person. See, this is why we do what we do as followers of Jesus. We live a lifestyle that's dedicated to passing on the gospel so that more people would find life in Jesus. We are praying for our ones every day. We're we're rearranging the patterns of our lives to grow relationships, be able to share Jesus with that one. We do this because we want them to experience the amazing work of God in their lives. Jesus has come to mean the world to us. He's given us new life, a new identity, a new purpose, new meaning. In Jesus, we have become sons and daughters of God, which means that we have the perfect Father up in heaven. I mean, think about that. That is an amazing reality. Every one of us has had an imperfect father. Some of us have had very bad fathers. Some of us have had absent fathers. But we have a true father in heaven. And we know that he loves us. And he accepts us. And he will do everything for us that we really need. He will provide for us and protect us. And we know that he will take care of us. And, and we will get to live forever with him. This is amazing news. And we get to be part of telling more people that amazing news so that they too can experience it. I don't want you to leave this in the abstract of, yes, our church should reach more people. I want you to think about that one person that God has put on your heart, that person that that he's given you a relationship with who needs Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or you're not really sure what to do with all of this, and in this might sound strange to you. That talking about ones, that's kind of a, a weird thing. Maybe this whole thing is a bit off-putting to you. Our desire, just so you know, is not to make you feel uncomfortable. You just simply have to know our heart. Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. And, and we want as many people as possible to be able to experience that amazing thing that, that has happened to us as well, to, to be able to have the joy of knowing God's love for us. Know that our, our ones aren't our little project. We're not trying to sell anyone anything. We're not trying to trick anyone into anything. We just love Jesus, and we care about you, and we want you to be able to experience life in Him. It's the greatest thing that we've ever come to know. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to make this specific. So think about that one person that God has put on your heart. Here's the reality. God has called you to bring good news to that person. You are positioned to do that. Not only has He called you that, but He has positioned you for that. And not only has He positioned you for that, but He has given you power to do that. He has given you a passion. He's equipped you to be able to reach that person. And then he's made you part of this community of followers of Jesus who can encourage and support you as you bring the good news of Jesus to that person. I don't know anyone who feels really competent to bring the gospel to more people. So we've broken it down into into a manageable size here. And we realize that we have to trust that God is going to work in and through us for his glory, even though we are not competent to do this, even though we don't have the power for this ourselves. But it's all because it's about that one person getting to experience God's salvation. This is what continues to drive me. It's that thought of of my one someday finding Jesus. I think about someday maybe I get to baptize my one. I think about him finding peace and hope. I think about him getting to spend eternity with Jesus. Of him passing that message on to others. who will get to pass that on to others. That's what keeps me going through this. Disciple making is not easy. It's not a straight line. It's not a process where you do this and then this and this and then out comes a perfect, mature follower of Jesus. It's not that easy. It is hard work. There are times when it is discouraging. There are times when it is exhausting. And I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know all the right things to do. But I know that God has called me to this. And I trust that because he has called me to this, he will continue that work. His word is not chained. It's not chained today. It's not going to be chained tomorrow. All throughout 2017, God's word remains effective and powerful. I know that God is working right now to bring more people to himself. And that's what you and I get the joy of being able to participate in as followers of Jesus. Our priority as a church And our priority as followers of Jesus has to be on making disciples. This is our mission. This is our heart. This is our vision. This is what all of this is about. Everything we do is about this. We live a life that's dedicated to passing on the gospel. All so that more people would find life in Jesus. May God help us. Pray with me. God, you are the great God. What else can we say? You are the one who deserves all of the praise of every single creature that you have created. We want to be people who worship you from the bottom of our hearts. And we want to be able to be seeing more people worship you from the bottom of their hearts. Use us, God, for your glory. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.